0: from the newsroom of The Washington Post. Hi, this is Tracy Jan calling from The Post. I'm I guessing? President
1: Trump, how are you?
0: Hi, Hi. it's Robert Gibbon at The Washington Post. This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Wednesday, July 14th. Today, Texas Democrats and voting rights. Plus, what happens to our bodies during a heat wave.
1: Today, more than 50 Democratic members of the Texas House left Austin and left Texas. Not because we want to. It breaks our heart that we have to do it. But we do it because we are in a fight to save our democracy.
0: This week, in an extremely unusual move, dozens of Democratic state lawmakers from Texas packed their bags, got on a plane, and left the state with no clear plan of when to return. The idea was to break quorum and basically to prevent the Texas House from having enough members to pass a restrictive voting bill.
1: There' been 80 ayes, zero nays. The motion fails for lack of quorum.
2: Texas Democrats in the legislature are protesting a bill that Republicans are trying to push forward with the support of the Republican governor. Eugene Scott is a national political reporter for The Post. The liberals say could make voting much more difficult for different groups of Texans, particularly some of the demographic groups that tend to vote more left, such as people of color and working class Texans. I left because I am tired of sitting as a hostage in the Texas House of Representatives while Republicans strip away the rights of my constituents to vote.
0: And so what are the Democrats trying to do to prevent that bill from passing?
2: Well, they are pretty much uh, not present uh, in Austin, the state capital of Texas, and instead have come to Washington, D.C. to put more pressure on U.S. lawmakers and even the president uh, to pass legislation that would supersede any efforts that Republicans in state capitals would put forward that could make voting more difficult for certain groups of Americans. And by being absent um, from Texas, uh, the bill cannot advance because there are not enough lawmakers in the state capitol to actually vote on it. So uh, the bill pretty much is at a standstill. Mr.
1: Metcalf raised a point of order that quorum is not present based on the tally sheet furnished by the voting clerk. A quorum is apparently not present, and the point order is well taken and sustained.
0: Hmm, that seems like such an extreme move. That basically the Democrats in the legislature are using their physical presence in the state or their physical non-presence in the state to prevent something from passing.
2: It certainly seems extreme, and and not something that I was familiar with before now, as in something that could be done to keep legislation from moving forward. But it is an issue that these lawmakers believe to be an extreme one, which uh, is also the argument of so many liberals across the country who believe that voting rights are under a great threat from conservatives. I think another point about how extreme it is, you can't help but to wonder if this could become a new norm moving forward in terms of how a party may respond to legislation that they don't believe is in the best interest of their constituents.
0: So for this bill in Texas, what would it actually do? How would it change the ways that people are and are not able to vote?
2: Well, there are voting procedures that have been put in place most recently as last year, uh, but others before that could go by the wayside if this bill is to move forward, such as the, uh, end of 24-hour uh, voting or drive-through voting, all of these types of voting that are disproportionately used by people of color and people You know, with limited resources and people who are much more likely to vote Democrat, Republicans want to eliminate some of these procedures because they believe uh, that they increase the likelihood of voter fraud, despite there not being any significant evidence showing that that is the case. And so Democrats are trying very hard to allow uh, measures to remain in place that make voting as easy as possible.
0: So how have Republicans responded to the fact that essentially the normal legislative process in Texas has been taken hostage by these Democrats?
2: As you can imagine, they've been deeply disappointed and frustrated. And, you know, the governor has even threatened to have some of these lawmakers arrested.
1: In addition to that, however, uh, I can and I will continue to call special session after special session after special session, all the way up until election next year. And so if these people want to be hanging out wherever they're hanging
2: out on this taxpayer paid junket, they're going to have to be prepared to do it for well over a year. Others have, you know, sent letters to The Texas clerk requiring the House to lock these lawmakers voting machines and leave them locked until Democrats return to the state legislature. So uh, there have been efforts from Republicans pretty much to kind of force these lawmakers to return back to the state capitol as quickly as possible to move forward with this.
0: And for the Democrats who have decided to do this, do they have an end game here or is there a sense of how long they can stay out of the state? Are they prepared to do that indefinitely?
2: Well, they plan to stay away until August 7th, which is the end of the 30 day special session.
1: We have a, 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 a short window here and we can't uh, hold this tied back forever. Uh, we're buying some time. We need Congress and all of our federal leaders to use that time wisely.
2: So they're hoping that lawmakers in Washington, federal lawmakers, national lawmakers will pass uh, the For the People Act by then and that maybe even Joe Biden will support uh, moving forward with lawmaking that does not require the 60 vote. Majority that has prevented so many parts of his agenda from moving forward so far. And so they are trying to get the word out, um, influence lawmakers. We know they have met with Chuck Schumer, are meeting with Joe Manchin, are meeting with, you know, other lawmakers that they believe will play a huge role in getting this uh, national voting rights legislation uh, passed.
0: I can imagine that the fact that Democrats in Texas are willing to take such extreme measures to, in their mind, protect voting rights, puts more pressure on Senate Democrats and on President Biden. How are they responding to that pressure?
2: Uh, Well, they are listening and trying to make it very clear that they are concerned about the rights of voters outside of their uh, states because this is something that is bigger. And what is President Biden saying about this? President Biden gave a huge speech that he and his team are certainly hoping will be definitive for his presidency, making it very clear that voting rights and protecting them are one of the main civil rights issues of our time and that uh, Republicans are behind efforts to limit the right to vote and certainly not to expand it, and that he and his party want to do everything they can to block these efforts. The 21st century Jim Crow assault is real. It's unrelenting. And we're going to challenge it vigorously. One of the main ways he's doing that is by trying to convince Americans that he has their best interests in mind so that they can put pressure on lawmakers to vote differently than they are if they are leaning towards not supporting voting rights. And so we will see what happens from there.
0: Eugene Scott is a national political reporter for The Post. The story was produced by Alexis Diao. In the past month, hundreds of people have died across the Pacific Northwest. And the cause was not a wildfire or a flood or a hurricane. It was a series of heat waves. Millions of people are dealing with scorching temperatures as a deadly heat wave continues to grip parts of North America. In British Columbia, Canada, officials reported more than 230 deaths since Friday. Several cities also saw roads crumble under the excessive heat. Climate researchers say that hot days are only getting hotter and happening more often.
1: There are a few different ways in which people can die during exposure to extreme heat. First of all, there's heat stroke, which uh, most people are familiar with, and it's quite tempting to think that all deaths during extreme heat exposure can be attributed to heat stroke, but that's not necessarily true.
0: Ali Jay is a professor of heat and health at the University of Sydney. His lab studies what happens to the human body under these conditions and what we can do to stay safe. He spoke with our intern, Corey Suzuki.
1: we have these physiological processes that are in place that enable us to really maintain that internal body temperature quite tightly around what we would term a set point core temperature. The other two factors that determine how hot we get in a particular environment is what we're doing, so how much physical activity we're engaging with and and how much heat we're producing internally from the contractions of our muscles, and also what we're wearing as well, because clothing can serve as a barrier to heat transfer from the body to the surrounding environment. So those heat loss mechanisms, if we're exposed to the heat, are a, a process called vasodilation, where we redirect hot blood from deep inside the body core towards the skin surface to facilitate heat loss. And then if that's not sufficient to maintain body temperature, we start sweating that sweat appears on the skin surface. And then in order to liberate heat, it needs to evaporate into the surrounding environment. So for every gram of sweat that evaporates from the skin surface, it takes with it approximately 2,430 joules of energy, which is really quite a lot in terms of when we're trying to estimate what kind of heat balance status the human body is in. So it's really effective at maintaining body temperature within safe limits.
0: What are the ways that people can actually die during heat waves?
1: A lot of people die or get ill during heat waves if they have cardiovascular disease or maybe kidney disease as well. And the pathways for those illnesses or those causes of death are a little different. So heat stroke arises from two things happening basically at the same time. Our heat loss mechanisms work a way to try to maintain that body temperature within a safe limit. But if those are not sufficient or if the environment is so harsh that it doesn't matter what we do physiologically, we keep heating up and heating up, eventually our core temperature will reach dangerous levels. So we have that response that I mentioned before where we're redirecting blood away from the body core towards the periphery. But what this means is that there's a a lack of blood flow to some of the deep visceral tissues such as the gut. So we end up having effectively a reduction of oxygen delivery towards the cells of the gut. And when that occurs alongside high local tissue temperatures, what researchers have shown is that the gap junctions that keep all the bad stuff inside the gut, they start to become leaky. So it results in multi-organ failure, coagulation, and death.
0: What are you feeling as this process of heat stroke is happening? What does that look like to go through?
1: So in the first case, people might f- feel like they're dizzy. They might feel as though they're nauseous. That's a that's a very key indicator of the early signs of heat-related uh, illness. This is more like something called heat exhaustion, which is a milder form of heat-related illness. And then they can become uncoordinated or they can't communicate particularly well. Some of their decisions may seem irrational, So there's a combination of of different signs and symptoms that we can look for in different individuals when they're going through uh, heat-related illness.
0: What does recovery look like from these ways that people can die during heat waves? Can you recover from these conditions?
1: The number one gold standard treatment for somebody that is um, suspected to be experiencing heat stroke or exertional heat illness is aggressive and rapid cooling. The sooner that they can be treated the greater the chances of survival. Now, normally what this involves is trying to immerse them in a, in a tub of cold water with ice, if possible, to try to cool them as rapidly as possible. So the chances of recovery, if they can be treated quickly and the resources are available to apply this aggressive cooling of these individuals, then the survival rate of, of exertional heat illness and heat stroke can be, can be very, very high. Who is at the most risk during heat waves? So during heat waves, people that are at the most risk are people who have physiological vulnerability and uh, people who have a resource or social vulnerability. So let's first deal with the, the physiological vulnerability, people who have cardiovascular disease, people who have kidney disease, and aging is also a very important factor as well. What we do know is that there's age-related decrements in the ability to sweat. So as people progressively age, their ability to maintain body temperature is compromised somewhat. So as people reach 75 or 80 years old, their thermoregulatory capacity is really compromised in most people. And this becomes even worse or it's doubled down, if you will, if 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 these people also have other comorbidities such as diabetes or if they also have cardiovascular issues. But then there's the, also the social situation as well. So the type of resources that people have access to in extreme heat events so the number one way in which we know that we can keep cool and stay safe during an extreme heat event or a heat wave is simply by using air conditioning now they're very energy intensive and they're actually quite expensive to install and run and many of the most vulnerable during heat waves actually can't afford or don't have access to an air conditioning unit
0: what can people do to protect themselves
1: Yeah, it's a really important uh, question, Corey. So, I mean, I I think we we need to step back and think about who we're providing advice to. So in settings where uh, there's no ready access to cool air because there's no access to air conditioning. So the type of strategies that we're looking at, one of the, the main ones that we've been trying to get to the bottom of quite recently is the notion of using electric fans for cooling during heat waves. Fans work in hot environments by helping extra sweat evaporate from the skin surface that otherwise would just sit on the skin surface and not cool you down. And we've demonstrated that actually electric fans can be quite protective for young healthy people up to air temperatures as high as 42 degrees Celsius, which is around about 107 degrees Fahrenheit. There are other scenarios that we're looking at as well. For example, what we do in the case of an electrical blackout. So in that particular situation where maybe millions of people are turning their air conditioning on at once, what can we do? And the question that we've trying to answer was, you know, what do you do with water to keep yourself the coolest? So what we found under simulated hot, humid heat waves, such as the ones that we saw in Chicago in the late 90s, or very hot, dry heat waves, such as the one that we just recently saw in the Pacific Northwest, we found under both of those conditions, applying that water to the skin surface, something called self-dousing, is very much the most effective way in which you can mitigate the rise in body temperature, the rise in cardiovascular strain and dehydration that can prove problematic. So what we actually advise is people should always try to keep their, their skin wet. What they should do is apply water to the skin surface however you can with a sponge, a flannel, a rag, with a spray bottle. And what you want to always see is water on the skin surface. Those are the type of solutions that we've been looking at. There's no doubt. We should make no mistake that if people adopt the right personal level cooling strategies in the heat wave, even if they don't have access to air conditioning, it increases their chances of navigating their way safely through that heat wave without becoming either ill, being hospitalised, or even dying.
0: Ali Jay is a professor of heat and health at the University of Sydney. This story was produced by Corey Suzuki. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Lena Mohammed. You can learn more about the stories in today's show at PostReports.com and join the conversation online using the hashtag PostReports. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.